today we have a very special guest, um, a champion from the NWSL. Uh, we have Tori Huster on the show today from the Washington Spirit. She is coming off a league championship with the Washington Spirit. Um, she used to train and play here when the Spirit were, were playing at the Soccerplex. Um, it was a great conversation we, we had with her today. and She gets to talk about not only her history, but what's going on in the league and what's going on with women's sports. Um, she's also the president of the NWSL Players Association. So she has great uh, insight into what's going on with their collective bargaining agreement and you know all the controversy that happened in the league this year, as well as just you know great advice for you know any young women that are coming up looking to either play sports professionally or work in sports. So it was a pleasure having her, and you know so much good information. We ended up talking way much way longer than we thought we were going to, so it's a bit longer of an episode. So. We uh, hope you enjoy the show and learn something from Tori and look forward to uh, talking to you later. Thanks and enjoy Tori Houston. Pitchside from the Plex podcast, coming to you from the Adventist Healthcare Fieldhouse at the Maryland Soccerplex with your hosts, Matt Liver and Kim Walter. The Pitchside from the Plex podcast is supported by Sam Soccer. Sam Soccer provides developmental and educational soccer programs in Montgomery County. Sam offers classes, clinics and leagues for children 2 to 18. All league games are home games at Sam Soccer, offered at the prestigious Maryland Soccerplex. Check out samsoccer.org for more information. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today's special guest is a recent champion of the NWSL, Tori Huster. Welcome to the show, Tori. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So uh, for those that don't know, the Washington Spirit used to play at the Soccerplex, and then they abandoned us and, you know, made us cry. <laughs> so, um, but they went on to bigger and better things, and, you know, they leave and become champions. So, but we'll take credit for it as well. You absolutely should take credit. Um, we wouldn't have been where we are without all the help from the last eight years. So I appreciate that. Anyways. I mean, I think you guys just took your last stuff out of here. Um, and it just emptied the uh, container that was out back with still had some uh, spirit gear in there. <laughs> well, then you're definitely a part of this championship. Yeah, we, we want a ring. And we're waiting for our yeah. rings. So, all right. So. Tori, uh, give us a background on you, like where you're from, where you went. And unfortunately, I have to listen to the college side because Kim's going to jump in on Florida State, but <laughs> yeah. whatever. And then how you got to professional career and just kind of your history. Yeah, gosh, um, I'm old, so I don't want to take too much time, but I'll try and be quick with it. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, was born there, raised there, family still there. Um, I have a younger sister who also played soccer, but started playing soccer. It was my first sport. Um, around four years old, I played on a little recreational co-ed team as many typically do when they're that age, um, fell in love with it. Also come from a sports family. So I played, um, a bunch of different sports when I was growing up, softball, volleyball, um, basketball was probably up until I was about 15, probably the equivalent of soccer and, and what I spent time on. 
um, did some golf. My dad loves to golf. So I grew up playing golf with him. Um, but yeah, played a bunch of different sports. Uh, I went to a high school in Cincinnati called St. Ursula Academy. We won some state championships there. Um, a little, uh, a lot of people know this actually already, but Aubrey Bledsoe and I actually played, um, played high school soccer together and won one of the, uh, state championships there. So that's our, yeah, that's my claim to fame on, uh, (laughs) working and already playing with Aubrey before she got to the spirit. But, um, And then, you know, college recruiting started when I was growing up, probably around the sophomore year of high school, Um, started receiving a bunch of different, uh, you know, letters and all, I don't know how it's working now, maybe it's more email now, but received all of these letters in the mail, I think from every college across the country, I'm sure so many, so many girls did as well, but um, I ended up selecting Florida State to go to college down there in Tallahassee. Um, One of the main reasons was because of my conversations with Mark Kerkorian, who is still the coach there now. Um, He is by far the best coach, most professional coach I have ever uh, had the pleasure of playing for. And I would say that till this day. Um, And I've, yeah, I, I learned so much, grew so much there in college, um, just on the individual side. And uh, he and his staffs are always very detail oriented. Um, I know that that remains to be a big piece to why they are successful today. Um, and I think the furthest we got when I was in college, unfortunately, we made it just to the final four. So I never participated in a championship when I was there. I think a few years later, they actually won a national championship. So, um, I take pride in, you know, building part of the program there, like, like the Plex will take pride in being part of our, our journey. Um, and yeah, I think I knew probably in my sophomore year that I wanted to play professionally. Um, And at that point, there was a league in the U.S. Um, We actually had the pleasure of playing Sky Blue at one point. I think in the spring season, we scrimmaged them when I was at Florida State and got to watch several training sessions when they were there for preseason. We also also played, we scrimmaged the Atlanta Beat when they were a team. Um, And I think... I remember one training session in particular watching Carly Lloyd. I think she was doing some working on some shooting um, and just kind of, you know, seeing how professional and what that level was, was I'm sitting there in between classes watching this and, and wanting to aspire, aspire to, to do that as well. And um, I think without seeing that it was possible, I'm not sure that in college I would have had um, would have had that mindset. Unfortunately, after I uh, graduated, I graduated a semester early so I could enter the draft. I was drafted in into the WPS and it folded. So I had to find something else to do um, for for that year. I think it was 2012 at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then luckily the uh, NWSL uh, was created in November 2012. And then I was drafted to the Spirit. So that's kind of how I ended up here. Um, long story short, I guess, but, uh, so if I did yeah. my homework correctly, not only yep. are you an NWSL champion, you have a super wide national championship as a youth. 
a yeah. U.S. club national championship of youth, high school state champion, and all state honors, and then ACC women's soccer player of the year. So she just conveniently left all yeah, of that out. Yeah, left all yeah. of that out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I guess, I don't know. Sometimes I forget some of the things that I've won along the way. I think when you're in it, you're kind of like, what's the next thing I got to do? What's what? How am I going to develop? How am I going to stay even relevant and fit and um what's the next thing I have to win and oftentimes that that mindset makes us uh more likely to see all of the ways in which we still need to improve without actually um going ahead and patting ourselves on the back from time to time but every once in a while you gotta pat yourself on the back yeah. I mean yeah. your, your list of accomplishments isn't you know something to forget oh thank you for that when did you graduate from Florida State 2011 I graduated in December um so that I could enter the draft um I had conveniently taken a course in the summer of 2011 that allowed me to do so so um that was I think a lot of it sounds like a lot of girls are doing that now and I think I think that's great yeah so we over we overlapped by a year I think so I my first semester was summer of 2010 Okay. So, yeah. So that was my Thanks. freshman year. So yeah, yeah, I give her a lot of hard time about Flyer State. Why is that? Where did you go? Uh, I went to what is yeah. That? Tell her where you went to college, actually, isn't you? I went to Western Maryland College. Um, okay. Um, but I give her a hard time because she loved Florida State and their sports teams just aren't so so great anymore. That's not true. Uh, the soccer team is. I, yeah. I will say the women's soccer stadium down there is fantastic. Yes. And the, uh, yeah. The intramural. Uh, facility that's like not on campus but mm-hmm. like that place is incredible like yeah. the yeah. fact that it exists for for college students is amazing mm-hmm. like I'm used yeah. to intramural fields at colleges be like a patch of dirt with like one blade of grass on it so the fact that they take care of it down there for you guys like that is pretty impressive yeah they got a good team working on it and I know um, I'm not sure if this is still the case but we trained on our game field and played it and it was always spick and I think even um we would have, you know, in Florida, as you do, you have those monsoons in the afternoon. Yes. We would have that on a Thursday, on a Thursday night prior to a 7 p.m. game. And somehow they would be able to get all of the water that was on the field off. It drained so well. But I do remember one time they had, they had like, they had leaf blowers out there to try and get the water (laughs) off, which was funny, but come game time it was perfect well the crazy thing i ever saw like that it was um i was the state cup director for maryland we had a we were in west virginia for regionals and mm-hmm. it was like the first time they were down there they built this uh big complex so it was supposed to be a big deal and it rained the entire week so the governor called out the national guard helicopters and they had helicopters flying field to field to push the water off um it didn't work because they built the fields uh-huh. on clay so it was basically yeah. a bowl full of water it, it was terrible um oh, but it is what it is. You got to do what you got to do. Exactly. All right. So we're through college. Uh, you get drafted by the WPS, but was it a week later the f- whole league folded? Is that, did I read that correctly? It was something like that. Yeah. Like, it came pretty crazy. quickly after. Yeah. It was, it was wild. I, I was fortunate though. Um, you know, I hadn't really had a taste of what professional soccer was yet. So I, I, I didn't have that experience where something was taken from me. Um, it was kind of just like, well, what is actually an opportunity? What's the possibility? And the team that I got drafted to, Western New York Flash, um, was going to have a team anyways, a, a league, the WPSL Elite, 
was formed, I think, with about five or six teams through, I think Chicago was the furthest west we went, but um, some northeast teams. And we st- they still held the, it was a shorter condensed season, I think from March to August, something like that. And so I, I spent that summer in Buffalo um, and played for the Flash, and we actually won a championship there <laughs> on penalties. So Sounds pretty consistent. Whatever team has yeah. Tori wins championships. There you go. <laughs> Just write that down. Yep. So what, what was that first professional experience like for you? Obviously, it, it wasn't probably what you were expecting coming to college when the league folded and then you, it was a, you know, for lack of a better term, a makeshift league that they kind of put together. Like, was it still like a professional experience for you or was it just like playing in college again uh, or was it back to like, hey, it's just like a youth team traveling around and just playing? What was that like? I think uh, coming from Florida State and uh, how professional it is there, the similarities in the professionalism I found more um, occurred with with my teammates. Uh, my teammates were very used to being professional and carrying themselves professionally um, and were really just dedicated. I think that was the dedication and the motivation, regardless of the you know facility standards or standards of the referees or lack of crowds, um, all of those things, even lack of compensation. Um, all of those things that, you know, you, uh, tend to kind of tack on along with professional sports. Um, we didn't have those things, but the mindset, the dedication of the teammates and knowing that they had experienced similar things in WPS yet we're still blazing this trail, I think was the most motivating and professional aspect of joining a league like that. So you played there for a couple of years, seasons, correct? Then just, just just that one, one season, and, and then then you went to Australia. Went to Australia, and then that's the following year I got drafted to Washington Spirit. So I know players still do the the play here for a season, Australia in the off season. Is that still common with players in the league? Or fewer and fewer. There were a few years after me, and even yeah, years when I was there, there were several Americans in the league. I think at least one on every single team. Um, now it's, it's a bit harder because the, the NWSL has lengthened the league here. And for a while there, it was, it worked really well in conjunction with NWSL season. Um, obviously their seasons are reversed. So it's summer there. I lived in an internal summer for, (laughs) I don't even know, like seven years. If you talk about even being at Florida state for that long, (laughs) um, even longer than that. But I, I mean, I've seen that there are some players going down there and getting games, I think that's awesome. I think going on loan for, you know, players that don't get a lot of minutes in NWSL, they want to keep ticking over. They want to be really sharp and, you know, make a name for themselves maybe the following season in NWSL. I think that's a really great option. And um, I think it just fewer and fewer because it it doesn't work as well timing wise now. So what was it like playing in Australia was, I mean, that's been a, a league for quite some time. Um, was yeah. it was it different than playing in the States? Because I think, and Kim, you can speak to this a little bit, having some Australian roots there, yeah. that they, they treat sport much different than we do. It's much more equal from a male-female standpoint and things like that. What was your take on it? Yeah, I think the, the main difference there is that they don't have college sports like we do. Uh, they don't even, they call it uni, university. Um, their university sports are, 
um, much more, I would, I would call it recreational. Maybe I'm getting that wrong, but in my experience, that was what it was. It was more recreational than anything. Um, so I think what happens there is that if a player wants to play professional soccer, they tend to also still be a student or they have a job um, and they're much younger. So when I got over there, having been a rookie, I think when I was 22, and then I get over there, I was one of the older players. Um, so that just made it, I think, a bit different from a, you know, developmental aspect. I would consider their league a little more geared towards developing the local talent that is in any of these cities. And then, um, and then you'll kind of see like one or two on each team will tend to be a Matilda. Um, they're national team players. Um, I think across the board, the competition within the league was good, but it doesn't sit on par with, with the NWSL. It's definitely a, a level or two below. Um, yeah, we had a guest earlier. She worked for USA Basketball, and when she was done college, she went to Australia and mm -hmm. played over there and then worked for one of the clubs, and she kind of had that same same kind of a thought. Like, it, it's a great development spot, uh, yeah. and it, people go there, get what they need to, and then they go on somewhere else and, and play that, that high-level pro, pro game. Yeah, but I do. You asked before about just the equality of of gender and, and differences in in sports. There, um, I think I think you're spot on with that. They really try to level the playing field regardless of gender, and um, I I definitely think that they are uh, way ahead of us <laughs> in in that respect. Um, I don't know if that I don't know what to attribute that to. I don't know enough about. Um, their, you know, business politics and sports and all of that. But um, I do know that as their, um, what do they call it? I think it's the the PFA. Um, their their labor union over there represents the whole of footballers. Um, it's regardless of gender, age, all of that. So um, I think because you know men probably played soccer down there prior to women. Um, when the league was founded, they kind of were able to utilize the resources that the men currently had, and they made a point to um, try to make that as equal as possible. I don't think that it started that way, but uh, when you talk about the, I, I believe they made a, a um, what it, I don't know if you would call it a rule or something, but the Matildas and the Socceroos are on some sort of equal money, uh, equal contracts, which I think is, is great. And that's a great step forward. Um, and then as far as the, the W league, or now they're calling it a league women and the a league men. Um, I think it's, I hope that they're making similar improvements. I, I would assume that they would, because that's kind of how they, they were guiding everything. Where did you play in Australia? I played three seasons in Newcastle for the Newcastle Jets. And then I played a season but got injured, so I only played a few games at Western Sydney. That's exciting. Where's your family live down there? They live in Perth. So, so the other know, side. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I I've traveled to Australia and so I spent time in Perth and Sydney. So I, I Sydney is fantastic. I would go back to yeah. Sydney in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's awesome. They've got great beaches there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
All right, so you're in Australia. You hear rumors about the the new NWSL forming. What what are your thoughts? Are you immediately I'm coming home and going to make this work, or are you skeptical that it's going to be another league that fails? It's not going to be financed correctly. Like, what what are you thinking when you hear those rumors come about? I think hearing the rumors, it's um, it's very limited information ever, um, and. It's uh, coming from a bunch of different places. It's coming from agents. It's coming from, I, at that time, um, talking to Mark Rikorian. He was my biggest resource in, in knowing what was actually going on. Um, but I think they're, the grapevine is just, it is not reliable. And <laughs> I think then being, on top of that, being, what was it, 16 hours at some points ahead of everything, super stressful. Um, I didn't really know, you know, what I, what I should do. I didn't have an agent at the time. Um, and just kind of thinking to myself, is there a place in the NWSL for me? Obviously I was drafted to WPS, but, um, is it's like this, there is a scarcity to, to these leagues where there's only so many spots on each team and yeah, is there a place for me? And I think that was my biggest, uh, let's call it a fear, um, that I would get there and not necessarily be to the level. I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. I, I knew I did okay the summer before. I knew I was doing okay in Australia, but for some reason it felt like this was going to be the big leagues now and the national team players are going to be on each of these teams. And can I level up? Am, am I able to you know, back myself enough where... Um, I can really compete and be and make a name for myself in, in that league. Um, I think that was that's kind of where my head was at. Then there's limited knowledge, and then there's the you know, is a team going to pick me up? There's you know, just that uncertainty that pervades women's sports so, and sports in general. So if I've read this correctly again, you were on a plane when you were drafted and didn't yes. know until you landed. Yeah, I the, I don't know if you know, but the the flight from Australia is wicked. It is eighteen so hours long, at least it's so long. Um, but the yeah, the draft was scheduled for when I had my flight scheduled, and I landed and had a ton of messages, and that's how I found out where I was going. <laughs> I don't even think social media wasn't really that big. I think I had been on Twitter for a couple of years. Instagram wasn't that big yet. Um, I think I had a few a few calls from different coaches around the league, but ultimately, yeah, ended up at Washington. So you're one of the first, I think you were the second draftee for the spirit. You're the first draft in the, in the second round. In the, yeah. In the supplemental draft, yeah. I was drafted. That was their first pick in the second round. Yes. Yeah. So you've been with the team since its inception, been with the league since inception. What has changed from then to now? Good Some and, days good it and feels bad. like nothing. <laughs> Some days it feels like we are a little stuck. Um, uh, I know we have made improvements. We have, you know, when I think back to that first year and just the chaos that was building and creating a league in such a short period of time, um, bless the hearts of the people that came together and did that so quickly after uh, the WPS folded. Um, but you know, there's growing pains and I think we've now, we're just about to reach the 10th, 10th season of NWSL. And 
that's certainly a landmark. And I, I'm really proud of the progress that we've made. That's not to say that we are, um, you know, that we're okay with where we're at. And I think, I think just across the level, across across the board, the the level of the standards has risen within ten years, right? And I just think it's about um, continuing to raise the bar because, yeah, when you compare us to to men in the men's leagues, even go so far as EPL, like we're we're really behind, and um, that's okay. But what what is our plan? What's our what's our plan for the next five years, ten years? Who has that plan and who's in charge of that plan? Um, and yeah, there's there's been improvements, but still many to make. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I'm sure this was the same way that MLS started too. Like some, like you had to have other jobs. Like the playing soccer didn't pay the bills fully. So, so how long did you end up having to do that before you were like, okay, playing soccer is, is now my full-time job. I don't have to worry about these other things. Or do you still have to do the other things to make ends meet? Um, I would say that I don't have to do the other things that I do. Um, I do it because I, I like the other things that I've gotten my hands on. Um, at, at one, but that's not to say that um, we're leading into the 10th season and um, it's not like I've set myself up for retirement. <laughs> um, and I, I, I couldn't say that for a lot of the majority of players in the league. I don't think we make a salary where we're on these cushy, we have this cushy compensation and we're okay. And we can have a family and support, you know, three other, four other humans. Um, but I think, I think it's, you know, it's trending in the right direction, but I, I would say the majority of players have to have other jobs to, to support themselves if they want to be financially, um, have that financial freedom in, in the future. And, and that certainly wasn't the case for probably eight years for me. So for probably the last three years, so I started here in 2019. So um, mm -hmm. before that, you guys were teetering at the bottom of the table, and now you're, you know, coming off a championship season. Kind of talk us through, like, what that experience was like going from, like, hey, we're struggling to, hey, now we're the top of the league and obviously there's a ton of hard work in there to, to get to that point. You know, what was that like? What was the determination? What was the motivation in there? I think that um, I have to attribute that to the core group of players that we have on the spirit. I think for a while there, it was a little up and down, you know, in 2016, we went to the championship. We had a great team from first season, let's call it a wash. We had really great players, but second season we had a, that was one of my favorite teams I've played on. Um, and then in 2016, we go to the championship. And then after that, we kind of have a downward slope. Um, I think we're, you know, trending upwards. And I think after we had that downward slope, you know, you have Ashley Hatch, you have Aubrey Bledsoe, Andy Sullivan still here. My, I'm, I'm here as well. Um, I think I have to attribute it to that core group of players who knows what it's like, who knows how bad it can get to kind of instill that or, you know, share that with now what has become a, a different core group of players who have the talent, they have the motivation. Um, we can let them know what it's been like here before to not take things for granted. And 
and potentially, you know, stay in the top, um, in the top of the standings for, for a while and be successful for the longer term, be a team that's always one that, that's going to be hard to beat and, and not easy to contend with. So um, I'd have to attribute that to just the culture that the players have created here. And that comes from, gosh, even even small things like anyone we've drafted, we reach out to as players, as captains, we reach out to them that day, um, try to communicate with them um, as soon as possible so they know who we are, they know who to reach out to. Whether we have the answer or, or not is, that's a different <laughs> scenario. Fake but it till you make it, I, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but we know who has the answer, so we can certainly point them in the right direction. And um, they're for all of the young so many people have talked about how young we are for so long, um, but we're really getting the most out of our young players. And I think that's um, certainly, you know, credit to, I think we're making them comfortable. I think we're making them confident. And um, I take great pride in that. And I think as an older player in the league, that's my responsibility. And, and I've certainly had the opportunity here to, to do that. Yeah. So talk about that. What does me, being a captain mean to you and sort of the, how do you take on that leadership role within the team? Yeah, it's um, for, gosh, for a long time, uh, for, for the, you know, there's other players out there that I've played with um, when I was younger. And I think so many people would probably call me unapproachable and maybe I am. I, I don't, I would yeah, never call I don't, you that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't smile all that often, but, um, I think there's some level of shyness there to me. I am an introvert at heart. And I think being a leader makes me have to kind of get out of my own skin sometimes, but, um, and that can be super uncomfortable for me. So, um, but yeah, I, I haven't always been the most, you know, um, I, I, I would say I'm more lead by example when I was growing up and, um, had, certainly growth there in, from a leadership perspective the last couple of years, um, having so many of the young ones and be, being really motivated by, you know, their youth and their, their, the joy that they have playing. I think the longer you're in the league, you can get bogged down by all the things that just aren't that things that we talked about it. Um, the improvements that still need to be made, it can be, uh, sometimes discouraging. And I think with the young players that we've had and, you know, the addition of like Kelly and Sonnet, um, I think that can be super encouraging. And um, the leadership role that I take specific tasks run the gamut. It's um, it's really no single person that is taking those on. I absolutely love that Andy and Aubrey and some of the other players, older players, you know, Hatchie taking on the responsibilities to, um, make sure that everyone's okay, that everyone, you know, gosh, I don't even know where to begin for specific examples, but, um, that communication is okay. This, this year itself was, gosh, I'm on the phone with them every single day, multiple times a day to figure out what's going on. COVID throws a wrench into things, um, from a mental health standpoint, I think that that's probably the biggest, change that we've made. We brought a sports psychologist on board because we felt that was, um, you know, with some of the issues that people were bringing to us, um, we don't have all of the tools and the knowledge that's needed for uh, circumstances that were being brought to us. And that became a priority. And um, I would say being able to have a, a real pulse on 
what's needed with the team when we have a loss or a win, or if, you know, in 2019, we go winless for a number of games, how can we still find areas to be successful and praise people for that? Um, how can we make everyone feel valued that that's huge for Andy, Aubrey and, and myself. Um, and for the last couple of years, I think we have grown together as a leadership group, but um, I think seeing <laughs> seeing them grow into leaders is amazing. And I'm I'm just really excited for them, especially with the national team. And um, I think they have years ahead of them. And it's been honestly like really fun to work with them. Yeah, it's funny you bring up the mental health side. We talked with somebody last season on the show about mental health and how different it's the approach is. Because I'm slightly older than you are, and you know that was never part of the equation. Like you, would, you just didn't talk about it. And then he's talking about these kids that are, you know, in high school now that he works with. That those kids will openly say whatever they want and like whatever is bothering them in like a public space, but their parents are still like hush hush about it. And it's just yeah. it's much more open. I think it's making the team and sport a lot better because we don't have the issues that like I had growing up where like you don't have to deal with your parents or the coach mm -hmm. or, or whatever it may be, you have that outlet now. So it, fantastic. You guys are doing that on a professional level. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's not normalized at all. Um, it's getting there. I think we saw Simone Biles this past summer, um, really be very public about the journey that she was going through. And I don't know if there would be a single professional athlete that would be able to say, I would like to meet them, but that would be able to say that they haven't on some level dealt with mental health, um, that the mental side of their game is not equally as important as their physical, if not more important, uh, or that it's all intertwined or that it's just health, uh, the health of the holistic health of the individual athlete. Um, I think it's, it's supremely important. And I, I think you're right, Matt. I don't think that we have growing up my generation, your generation, maybe we're in the same generation. I really don't know, but um, we don't have models in our parents or coaches from prior generations that understood that had, had knowledge and, and could pass that knowledge on we maybe had great leaders, but they probably wouldn't be able to communicate it in a scientific database uh, fashion. And I think now it's, it's definitely, it's, getting more normalized but it's certainly um it's not normal for some people still yeah i mean even beyond mental health my, growing up my mom was a nurse and mm -hmm. she was notorious for if one of us me and my brother got hurt it was get up you're not hurt rub some dirt on it get back on the field so like <laughs> yeah. if, if that's a physical injury if we're not talking to, like dealing with that like there's not a chance that we were ever said like hey like my head's not just in this anymore like that <laughs> yeah. that wasn't an option yeah uh we, we were during christmas we were laughing at a story of my brother um it was one of those like rainy games where like the ball becomes 10,000 pounds and he, yeah. he took the ball to the side of the head and his head's made of concrete anyway. But, and he was literally just wandering around the field at the end of the game, like clearly a concussion and like threw him in the car, just went home like that. <laughs> and again, my mom was a nurse, but it just, that was how he dealt with it. So yeah, uh, yeah. crazy times. <laughs> yeah. And we'll be right back. In Maryland, we don't just enjoy sports. We live and breathe sports. Our love for competition starts young. From the moment we pick up the stick or step on the court, we're committed to these games we love. 
Our passion and pride for our state and our sports cannot be matched. We work hard and play harder. From the mountains to the shore, we get to play in the most beautiful settings. And our love for hosting world-class sporting events and a world-class destination is undeniable. Maryland has unique opportunities for every athlete and attractions for every family. And we're accessible to America's small towns and great cities. So, are you in? Join us. Make memories that will last a lifetime. Maryland, where athletes come to play. Now back to the show. So staying on like the leadership side of things, so beyond the team captain, you became president of the Players Association for the NWSL. Mm-hmm. What made you want to do that? What was the driving factor for that? Um, I have to, yeah. The, or, or did you get the, bullied into it? <laughs> I did definitely get, yeah, I definitely <laughs> didn't get it bullied. Um, but Yael Averbush, she is the current GM at Gotham FC. Um, she, I tell everyone this when this ever comes up, but I want to be her when I grow up. I think she is a great role model. We played together at the spirit in 2014. I think it's 2014. Um, she's just an awesome human. And, um, she is the founder of our organization. And as that started and she started creating and and just learning, I think with the help of a lot of MLS PA, I think Bob Poos at the MLSPA and then several others helped her kind of get it off the ground because we saw a need for it around the probably like 2016, 2017 is when we founded and when we were founded and she was just looking for help. And I don't know, you know, I don't know why she called me. Um, She'd probably be able to tell you, maybe she knew I was organized or that I would care. Um, I wasn't a national team player at that point um for for the spirit there so it's not like she was reaching out to national team players but maybe selecting or trying to get in communication with players that had been at their clubs for a while that knew all the things that were going on and I mean I could say that would be enough for for me to call somebody um at a club right now to to get them involved and just kind of be the eyes and ears for that market Um, but it kind of evolved into, um, just this thing, I think where, you know, one of the biggest compliments she paid me is that, um, that I followed through on things that I said I was going to do. And it can be hard when it's not your full-time job. And, but she, she respected that. And she asked me if I wanted to do more within the organization. So I ended up joining the, at the time it was called the executive board. We've now, now called it the executive committee. Um, as the vice president, and then kind of shifted into the president role when Brooke Elby became our executive director. Um, I think it wasn't necessarily, it was certainly a choice. I was never bullied into (laughs) into doing it or or made to feel guilty to do it. But she um, she was so sure that this was something that was needed. And she was able to communicate all the all the ways in which it was even with at the time her limited knowledge of labor unions and really making it something that was um, formalized, um, but that we need to speak up as a player, as players and that our player group could, in a sense, um, 
start to be the the driving force for the improvements that needed to to be made. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I got involved. But um, the the PA would not be would not be around if if Yael was was not as amazing as she is. Have you guys ever considered merging with the MLS Players Association to kind of you know strengthen numbers um, type approach to it? Because obviously the the women's league you only have what, ten teams right now, so it, it's you're limited in your voice. So adding yeah. that does that would that help or do you think that would hurt your your approach to it because it is you you are in very different places than where the MLS is. Right. It's it's an interesting question. I think we have been able to piggyback on a lot of the progress they've made within their I think it's 25 years something like that. Um where I think where we are at 10 years we're probably better off than they were at 10 years at this point. Um but I think that's credit to the um their willingness to help us at every moment um we can call them whenever we need it they get back to us so quickly uh the interesting thing about just labor law labor unions and when you bring in like you bring in thief pro um the uh typically thief pro only uh, what would you call it, acknowledges one labor union um, or players association per country. And so that makes it difficult when you have the the U.S. men's national team has a players association, the U.S. women's soccer team, that was a weird way to say it, U.S. women's national team also has their own players association. Then we have MLSPA, we have USLPA, we have our PA. Um, it becomes difficult to merge all of those together. I don't know how that looks. Um, we're very aware of it that, you know, like a PFA in England covers everybody. Uh, PFA in Australia covers everybody. Um, can we make something like that? I, I don't know if it would help or hinder at this point because we have um, each of our, each of our player groups has things that are really necessary for for them to progress um so does that hold us back I'm, I'm not sure i think the creation of something like that again would have growing pains so do can we get more achieved by staying separate um that would be a question for our lawyers i'm really not <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah i mean i think the 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 problem with in the U.S. is because our system is so decentralized and yeah. segregated. Like there is no like we call it the soccer pyramid in the U.S., but it's not a pyramid at all because they don't connect mm -hmm. to each other. Like there's no promotion to relegation. Like USL and MLS, other than the Open Cup, don't have anything to do with each other. So right. I, I think it's it, we're in this weird like middle ground that we may have to make it up as we go along because we can't yeah. follow anyone else's model. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we're, we're a massive country too. So yeah. it's not, even in, yeah, even in the youth game, it's wild how many different pathways there are. Um, That's a whole other story. Yeah, whole we, other we show. will not get into that. I don't know enough about that. You have even brought that up. No, no one does. Yeah. The people that run those pathways, so-called pathways to pro, don't know yeah. <laughs> what welcome, it is. Welcome to Matt and I's world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Goodness. Yeah, the amount of parents that come here that assume their kid's going to go pro is shocking. Um, mm -hmm. it's just not a reality. Most of them won't even play in college, more or less play pro. So yeah. Well, is it the parent that wants them to make it or does the child actually want to go? That's, pro? that's an excellent question. And yes. that's also yeah. the question that we pose to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so being president of the player association, 2021 was collective bargaining agreement year. How much, 
obviously you are not an attorney. How much were you involved in that? Um, how much were the players involved? Did you just let the attorneys talk through it? Um, I'm always curious about that side because I, I love that side of the the sports world. So, yeah, the um, the form I can go into a bit about the format. Um, I think as far as you know, different topics and stuff have to keep that as confidential because they're mm-hmm. ongoing good faith negotiations. Um, but I've been, I would say pretty heavily involved, um, from a formulating the, uh, the actual comprehensive document that we submitted to the NWSL in March, March 25th. I think that was our first, um, that's when we first submitted our comprehensive proposal and we are still in negotiations. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's not to say that things throughout August and September did, you know, slow things down or change, make a turn or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it has been a really slow process. It's a first contract. It's, it will be our first collective bargaining agreement that we negotiate with the league. So there's a lot that goes into it. I'm sure there will be something at some point that we we haven't and they haven't thought of um, that we'll have to potentially come back to the table and be like, we, this, we didn't have, we didn't see this coming. So, um, that I, I'm sure there will be a, a period or a circumstance that happens like that. But, um, as we speak, we have two negotiation meetings set up, um, bargaining sessions set up today and tomorrow. Um, we're hopeful that it gets, you know, agreed to and signed prior to the season. Uh, I think players will absolutely, you know, be thrilled about that. Um, and I think the league, I think the league would too. I think that's really important to achieve contracts that are fair and, um, they compensate well. Um, they make this league an attractive and possible, um, uh, career path for, for players. Um, I, I think when I think about the negotiations that we've had, um, and, you know, really just paring down everything article by article all of the things that go into the creation of a league or, you know, just the player experience, there's so many things that, um, you know, just weren't up to standard. And that's what we're trying to do with this, with this contract standard, standardize it across the league so that players have a better experience. But I think of all the players we potentially could have missed out on over the years, um, that would be making three times, five times, 10 times, more money in a banking job or yeah, accounting or who knows, like you name it, being a doctor or something like that. Um, we're missing out on these really amazing athletes, like these just from the college system, really amazing uh, women or um, a- athletes that are, uh, they have to go somewhere else because financially they can't, they can't do it. They can't do it in our league. Um, they might not have the family to support them. I had family supporting me at times, driving me up here, um, you know, paying for a flight to get home. All of those things certainly add up and there would be people that wouldn't be able to, to plan our league because of it. Um, now that that's getting better, I think, I think that's good. So maybe we're not missing out on quite as many people and there is a way to always make it. And um, I love that now the, the national team, it seems, is really taking a hard look at the league and, and the talent that's there and giving players from our league the opportunity um, to, to play at that level and play for their country. I think that's amazing. Um, but 
yeah, the, those negotiations, we have a an executive director who is a lawyer herself, and she is amazing. There's no one better for that job, Megan Burke. Um, she's done amazing work this year and worked very hard on the CBA. Um, but we also we also hired labor counsel for this, um, Deb Willig, who their their firm is. They have a few firms in the country, but based out of Philadelphia and their labor council. So they represent labor unions um, and they have worked on a number of different things, but they've also worked with the NFLPA and they, I think this is, um, well, I think their, their council here on some of these like nuanced labor union things is there again, there's no one better for the job. I'm, I'm so excited that they wanted to work with us and, it, it, that it worked out when we were when we um, kind of spoke with them and did the whole interview process of who we were going to select for labor council. Um, so they're on every single call. It's three people from from their firm and then Megan Burke. And then at every single call that we've had, it's like over a number of, I think it's over 250 hours of bargaining plus creating and you know communicating what is best um, for the players creating the actual document, but then when a certain article comes back and it's, um, it's, you know, certain things are, are redlined from the NWSL, um, talking that over and seeing what we can and can't do, um, what we're willing to do, what we're, we're what we're not willing to, um, give on, uh, that, that it's just taken a, a lot of time this year, but there are players on every single one, multiple players, handfuls, if not more um, players on every single call, um, whether that's with the league or that's in creating the actual document. So um, this whole process, did it make you love lawyers or hate lawyers? <laughs> and I say that being married to an attorney. So, <laughs> so you're allowed. Yeah. Um, it's actually made me, uh, well, I think it's just kind of opened my eyes to what they actually do. Um, and Bill, a whole lot of money to argue about the definition of the. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think when they're, I mean, I don't, how do I say this? I think, and this isn't my word, but um, Megan, being a lawyer herself, knows when things can become over lawyered. Or when we're sending, you know, one sentence different back or they're sending it to us, it's, it can just be like a massive headache, you know, and um, it, that part of it can be frustrating because these documents are so long, how many sentences are in them and you're changing <laughs> one little piece of it or you're changing one little piece in every single sentence. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, we, um, we've, we've had those arguments here. It's we're yeah. to me and you, it probably means absolutely nothing. But to the mm -hmm. three attorneys in the room, they're like, oh, this changes the meaning of this entire document. I'm like, OK, yeah. if you say so. Yeah, it's it's wild. Yeah. And the way that things can potentially be interpreted is also important. Yeah, um, I wouldn't have. Well, I guess I would have known that. But seeing it play out in the way that it would affect my my life and my career, even you know, you, you talk about insurance or workers' compensation, like those things at the moment are affecting me. So I'm able to share my experience, which, which becomes important in creating the actual articles, which is happening in each of these articles on many different topics. Um, but it's, it's important for me to share my experience and then for the lawyers to have the knowledge 
uh, of creating the language that is appropriate um, and that there won't be loopholes, hopefully. (laughs) There (laughs) there always are. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Let's talk a little about the kind of social issues. Um, The NWSL, the players, you guys have been fantastic about speaking up about issues. Um, You know, even going back to the pandemic, you guys were the first pro sport to come back with the Challenge Cup. Um, What makes you guys so well suited for it? What makes you guys want to do it? Um, Why do you think it's important that you do speak up when you do? I think, gosh, um, this, it's such a heavy topic. I think I don't even know how to articulate some of the things that have gone on. Um, and I think that there's even some of these topics that I'm not educated to the point where I would, where, where I would want to be. And as I'm learning, like the education, it occurs over a lifetime. Um, I think that, the PA and myself in particular, I'm trying to serve in the best way I can so that everyone feels comfortable. Um, they feel like they can speak up, but, um, I think what happens is, um, well, not what happens, but I think there are still people that don't, these different topics are hard to speak about and then go ahead, go so far as say you have been, abused in some capacity, then it's even harder to speak up. Um, but talking about doing bystander training and um, trying to create safe spaces across the NWSL, trying to work with the NWSL to make sure that that is extended to all, all staffs, all employees, um, anybody who works for any club within. Um, and then most of, some of the employees that are within the clubs work with youth. So trying to make sure that there are certain, um, that there's a certain level of education that is happening and provided um, and because it's necessary for everyone that um, falls under NWSL employee. I think that's supremely important, but um, it's been uncomfortable. It's been, you know, since COVID and, um, you know, Black Lives Matter. And um, then you talk about the systemic abuse issues that happened this year. It's, it almost feels like to me, they've been there all the time. And because I have privilege, I haven't, I haven't been aware of it. Um, Now I'm thankful I am aware of it. And hopefully the PA can, and and players really take this and continue. I think we've done a good job so far, but continue to make and call for these improvements, demand that things get better. Um, Cause it doesn't only affect the players and the employees in the league. It affects the, the fans. It affects future fans. Is this a place where, you know, they want to spend their money. They want to spend their time. They want to come to games. Um, future players. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. girl on the stands watching what, what's going on. Do I want to put myself in that situation? Do, you're talking about losing players because of financial reasons. I, this yeah. is another thing that you can scare players away from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the BWPC has done an amazing job. Um, and I know they are going to continue to do it of, um, you know, promoting and doing that work for the underprivileged youth or the, you know, BIPOC communities to, you know, say you're welcome here. Um, and that's, that's a, that's a role of the player association and other players too, to, to do that. And, and, you know, welcome any and all persons. Um, I think that's been huge this year, but I think 
one of the things that I have kind of, you know, seen over the last two years is that we had we had COVID and we had Black Lives Matter and then we had the abuse scandals. I think as those things kind of um, kind of came to a tipping point and we've had this reckoning now, I think along the way, um, it was fortunate that we had created the player association when we did and how we did, yeah. because I think we were able to create trust amongst ourselves and really utilize the players association for what it's supposed to be utilized for, which is communication, understanding, getting on the same page. We were able to do that and, and unify over certain things with COVID. Like what is Utah going to look like? We had to have conversations make sure people felt safe from a health standpoint. And then as we've gone on, it's gone into topics that are extremely uncomfortable for players to come forward. And I'm like, I am blown away by their courage. Um, but being able to support them then and um, coming together as a players group to demand better of our league, I don't think would have been possible had we not had uh, COVID hit and, and had to communicate over those things. And regardless of, um, where you played, you know, this league is so competitive, but these topics, they're not something to compete over. Um, there's something to, to come together and, and get on the same page about so that, um, we can, yeah, make things better. Do you think COVID was the sort of like the catalyst for like bringing everyone together and sort of kind of, um, allowing everybody to sort of speak with one voice? Do you think that COVID was sort of kind of set that situation up or was it something else or was it building all along? I think it was building all along in a way. I think the structure of our organization lends its hand to that. Um, but I think COVID was like, the, it, if I, if I can remember correctly, gosh, maybe my <laughs> memory isn't serving me. Nine but, years ago. So. Uh, we've been in the <laughs> pandemic forever. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it seemed like it was the first real and don't get me wrong. Like there are issues that we've had to communicate about, but I yeah. don't think prior to COVID, we really had that voice or we were really consulted about how the players felt and the, um, the NWSL ended up, um, formally recognizing us in 2018 prior to that they they hadn't um we actually we said like formally recognize us or like we're gonna ask for a collective bargaining agreement they said okay we will like don't do that because we're not ready um if i remember that correctly um but that was important because when we did need to be consulted about that it's like our players gonna show up to utah yeah um we were the organization that needed to yeah, that they came to. So uh, on kind of the social side of things and within the league, and obviously you're in collective bargaining, so you probably can't go too far into what's included in there, but what do you see as what needs to be done to kind of right the ship a little bit? Um, I mean, it's from the outside looking in, it was a rough year for the, the league um, yeah. you know, from a public standpoint. So what what needs to be done before the next season even starts? Um, we need a contract <laughs> that needs to get into place. I, I mean, I, that should have been, it should have been done. It's not done. So 
whatever. Um, but we can do it in January. It's fully possible. And I am hopeful that the NWSL and in their side of it, their labor council as well, um, believes that too. Um, I think the, just the, the basic standards that the contracts will, um, they will, they will raise the league. They will raise the bar for the league. And I think it will, it will not make issues go away, but it will certainly, um, gosh, um, create a floor. So at least it can't go. Yeah. yeah. A floor, but also return some dignity to the players and, not I think I've had this conversation with a couple people it's this is our dream to play in the NWSL and we do it not for the money um clearly Um, (laughs) but but just yeah have a return of dignity of work for the players and you know if something is going wrong I think if if you're returning that dignity I think we will speak up about it we'll we'll feel um more inclined to because we know it's not right not that you're taking our you're not going to take our dream away from us um I'm, I'm not saying that very well um and many other people would be able to articulate that much better but um i think it's it's it it makes me this past year there is a lot of sadness that's come on along with all of these things that have um come on and that players have experienced i yeah i empathize it's um it's, it's not something I'm proud of for our league. And, uh, I I know that there's major changes that still, you know, need to be made from a systemic, but I think the basic contracts for players within our league and returning some freedom and giving them compensation for the hard work that they put in, those are some just basic things that I think will improve things. All right. So you talked about, you hinted at this earlier and don't take this question the wrong way. Cause I think you still have plenty of years to play left, but <laughs> post career, post playing career, what are your yeah. plans? Um, I was said you wanted to be the, uh, and I forgot her name already, the GM up at uh, Gotham. Oh, yeah. like, you want to be her yep. when you grow up. Um, <laughs> um, do you want to go back and be that physician assistant that you always dreamed that you were going to be in college? Oh, my sister's doing that now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now you can't do I, it cause she took it. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No. Um, my sister's another one that I, I would love to be her when I grow up, but, um, do, you, do she, we need to cut that out of the show? Like we don't want her no, to hear that. You can tell her, <laughs> yeah. No, tell her. Um, uh, yeah, I, so I graduated with, um, a major in exercise science. Um, the health side of things is always, it's always been a, of interest to me from, you know, a performance standpoint. Um, nutrition is important, like sleep, all of the aspects of professional, being a professional athlete that make it a 24 seven job and, you know, trying to incrementally get better, um, develop the right habits so that, um, I can make those like little 1% changes that uh, over time are going to really drastically improve my career or, um, be of help to other players, uh, in sharing whatever those, those things are to have a really long career. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I will probably not go back to school and (laughs) become a physician assistant. Um, it still intrigues me though, different, different things within the health industry and 
the yeah the holistic idea of health intrigues me um and I I just I I don't think I can honestly sit here and say that I'd go back to school at this point. Um, but I think there may be a need, certainly, if if I'm to stay in sports or if I um if I were to uh yeah, if I were to make that change post career. I think it's it's hard when you're in it. Um yes. I think it's important though for professional athletes to understand that you kind of gotta be thinking about your next career because this isn't for this isn't forever. Um, it's amazing while it lasts and hopefully it lasts for a long time, which was certainly my, uh, intention behind playing for now 10 years and going into 11th year. Um, but yeah, what is next is a good question. Matt, I'm still trying to answer that. Um, <laughs> would you coach? Have you thought about coaching? I have my, I have my C license actually. I got that in 2019 yeah. and, um, I have done, I, I've, coach teams before I have done individual sessions. I love doing individual sessions because I think there's a mentorship aspect to that. That's amazing. And you don't have to Um, deal with the parents. Yeah. And (laughs) actually the, the girls that I have trained, um, they've been awesome. Like the the parents have been awesome, really hands off. And I I kind of communicate that at the beginning that, um, like, does she want to be here? Like, is this, is this her, Is, is this what she wants to do? And it is like, it's it. And I've been lucky in that instance. I know that doesn't always happen, but, um, they've just been great. And there's things that I learn and I get enjoyment out of that too. So it, it's, um, yeah, once I'm done playing, maybe I take that up more. I think, um, these last couple of years, I've kind of tried to dip my toe in a lot of different things to see what might be, um, what might be something I could, could do like right out of the right out of the gate once I do retire um like Matt said we're not ushering you to to retire (laughs) that's not our goal here (laughs) no yeah it's a good question and I appreciate you guys waiting a little bit to ask it but (laughs) yeah um I mean I can fire Kim you can come back and take her job it's fine (laughs) no uh, I can work under Kim I had to I would have to learn (laughs) yeah Um, that won't take long Oh, goodness. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly yet. There's um, a couple of things that I, I would like to explore more. And uh, I have a lot of people that I can turn to that have mentored me in a way. And I'm very thankful for that because they will become um, very helpful, helpful for me. I, I, I know that. So this is our season uh, is women in sports. So all of our guests are women that have some function in the sports world. And we decided we're going to do three questions. We're going to ask every guest. So we get the same, same framework. Uh, So the first one is what challenges do you see for women playing sports and working in sports? And I think you have very firsthand knowledge on this one. Yeah. Um, I think there's that, I don't know. Uh, again, does it help or hinder us that we compare ourselves to men all the time? Um, do we, are they setting the bar or can we do things differently that completely raise the bar? Um, that yeah, comparison can be the thief of joy, I think is just a really interesting concept when we're constantly pitting ourselves against the men. Um, I don't think it's, something that can't help us per se. It's something to strive for, but, um, do we have to do it the way that they did it all the time? No, I don't think so. I don't think there's one way to do anything successfully. 
Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I love just speaking PA wise, the MLS PA was, has, and has been, can, remains to be very, um, great to us. Um, they have been amazing on every level and we're so grateful for their help. Um, but I think just in like the individual, uh, female women that are going to, that want to be in sports, I think, um, you don't always have to compare yourself to what the men are doing. Uh, you can do things differently and still be successful. The flip side of that question, what advantages do you think women have working in sports? Advantages? Um, gosh. Playing or working. That, yeah. Um, hmm. I'm going to go a little broader, I guess. Um, I think that women have an uncanny... Um, uncanny ability to multitask. And I know people say that you can't multitask because you have to focus on one thing, but they can do a lot of things um, in a given amount of time. And that's not a knock to men or anything. But, no, that's been a common uh, answer. No, we're laughing because been a very we need a little like, tally board. So the people that yeah. say multitasking are the people that say attention to detail. Because yeah. it's yeah. one or the other across the – like I think every guest except for like one, they, that's been there. But you come at it from a different point of view yeah. though because you're the first like uh, cur- current yeah. athlete that is yeah. currently facing those or experiencing those things. So, yeah, whatever, what, whatever advantage you feel like you have as a female athlete that a male athlete – athlete may not have sort of, I yeah. guess. I think, yeah, I'd say, um, I think the advantage is to be able to do a lot of different things at once. And, um, we've had different battles as, as females yeah. or non-binary people. Um, and I think that that helps us. It helps us see where, um, there are gaps um, that are disadvantages for us that, um, we can find ways to, to fill those gaps. I think, you know, women have this unique and maybe inane, um, innate quality to empathize and be able to empathize. And, um, when I speak about gaps, that's kind of, that's kind of what I mean, whether it's happening to, women or it's happening to minority people um we can see we can help them along and i think equity becomes really important in in that uh kind of area um just the ability to nurture and and lead a little bit differently lead with empathy um i think the focus can be i don't know more on um, the human that they're leading rather than the the business they may be building. Um, that's kind of just what I've seen in my own experience, I guess. Um, and I'll say anecdotally, yeah. and, and you kind of reminded me of this uh, before, the, I would say female professional athletes are not a knock against the men here, but anecdotally better educated because you guys have to worry about if you don't go pro, what are you doing with your life? where most of them don't necessarily have to do that. Um, And I just remember reading like the rosters and be like, oh, Stanford grad, Yale grad, Mm -hmm. Harvard grad, like things like, like you just don't necessarily see that on the the men's side. FSU grad. FSU grad. There you go. Right. (laughs) Um, uh, You don't necessarily see that on the 
pro male side of the of the roster sometimes and and again not a knock to them i think the system is just set up differently that they don't necessarily have to worry about it as much like you go mm-hmm. in you, you could be the one and done basketball player and you only could you only went to college because you had to for the year so it's, mm-hmm. i think it's a different model but i think a lot of the women athletes are much better suited to lead a business sometimes because they have the education behind them that teach them how to do it and they're not trying to learn on the fly yeah yeah that's a good point so last question um what advice do you want to give to young women that either want to play professionally or work in sports or you know be the head of a players association that that want to get into this realm what can you tell them they should do now to set them up for that success later that's a great question um See, Kim, I ask great questions. Did Kim come up with them? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that they're hmm, exploring your levels of confidence and where you where you get them from, um, or where you you know the spaces you feel more confident, or maybe when you don't feel as confident, why is that? And exploring that can be uncomfortable sometimes. Um, when you don't, when you feel insecure or you don't feel confident to speak up, um, uh, it's interesting. I've read a book from one of our investors here at the sphere, the confidence code, um, can become like somewhat of a muscle, uh, confidence can be, um, it can grow the more you practice it. And I think oftentimes, um, young girls can, they get to a point in sports and we see them um, back out of it. They're, they don't, they don't participate in sports anymore. It's like around the 14 year old mark, I believe. Um, I don't think that's just due to confidence or anything, but that is when they're hitting puberty and, um, their bodies are changing and maybe sports aren't as, um, as easy for them, but is that, you know, is that where confidence maybe drops off a little bit for, for young young girls in sports potentially but then I think when you when you do have this comparison between men and women um there's often like men have this confidence for no reason but they they practice it from a young age you know they're jumping off the playground for um and whether they land on their feet or not but I don't know but um I think girls don't typically have that same confidence so I'd say my advice would be to explore that um, and and work that muscle because I think it can it can help. Um, it certainly helped me over like even Zoom. Gosh, uh, Zoom over the last couple of years, I still get anxiety when I have to take myself on mute, off mute, and say something. But because I've had to do it, or um, I force myself to do it in certain circumstances, or I've, you know I've seen some other players be very courageous to, to come forward and speak up. It's like, I can do this. Like I, um, have all these role models who are showing me like how to be courageous in situations where I don't have that confidence, but practicing it is the best way to, to grow in that area. And uh, I would say that that's massive. It's a, it's a huge piece to, to being a professional athlete and, and making it to this level, having confidence and believing in yourself. Well, we have taken way, way too much of your time. Um, I promise okay. you, I was hour. talking a lot. Yeah. No, you did great. But I uh, can't thank you enough for doing this, and congratulations one more time on the championship. So well deserved. So happy for you girls. You it's it's been 
great watching you over the last couple of years. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see it this past year because, you know, you guys <laughs> left us, but we'll get over it eventually. <laughs> we're hopping down to Audi. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we're very happy for you all. All right. Well, thank you again, and uh, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Roll by Goodyear, we change your tires, not your plans. Let our mobile van come install your tires wherever or whenever during business hours that you choose. So give Roll by Goodyear a call at 240-907-6461 and mention this podcast for 10% off your tire purchase. Again, that number is 240-907-6461. Roll by Goodyear. Tires on your terms. Okay, so it wasn't a normal episode. Like, we weren't, you know, BSing about some phone story or whatever, but I think it may have been, like, one of our better episodes. Yes. Definitely more serious than than most, um, but I think it, we needed that, and I think it's a topic we needed to talk about and things we needed to talk about. Yeah, and I think it gives good insight into sort of how the NWSL and the Players Association, all of that works. I thought I found all of that very uh, interesting, and I thought Tori did a great job describing all of that as well. Um, yeah, so, they definitely picked the, the perfect person to be the Players Association president. Like she, Absolutely. She's good. Um, you said it before we, before this uh, segment that she doesn't know how good she is at this. Yeah. It, so um, I, I, she's phenomenal, and I yeah. think she it, she talked a little bit about like the confidence and stuff like that. I think she definitely should have all the confidence in the world because I think that was. Yeah, an, I, I an like how she phrased interview. it though. The explore the levels of your confidence and where it comes from. Yes, and treating it like a muscle and training it like a muscle. Yeah. I thought that was incredibly uh, well said. Yeah, I mean, like her comment about you know guys have confidence from early on because we jump off the swing sets whether we land on our feet (laughs) or not as opposed to being confident because you actually accomplish something or you're good at something it's definitely a different type of confidence and one you should understand why you're confident and how where it comes from yeah and i think that is definitely a challenge that i think women have whether it be in sports or whether it be in the business world is the is the (laughs) level of confidence um in kind of second guessing yourself and all of that. So I, I think treating it like a muscle and training it and working at it, um, I, I thought was incredibly well said and great advice for, for women who, whether they're looking to play professionally uh, like she does or whether it just be in the business world. Yeah, the other one that kind of caught me was the holistic health approach to it. And, yeah. you know, we've talked about mental health in here before, and but you – you can't separate the two. Like your mental health is so tied to your physical health. And it, it just is health. Yeah. It's all, it's it, all one big thing. It, it's a approach. I don't think many people take and people just look at them two separately, two separate items. Like, you know, I hurt my leg, but my comment, like your confidence is off or whatever it is. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't think people necessarily put two and two together and say, Oh, they're connected. Yeah. And she brought up, what everybody else I think has said thus far this season is that women are good at multitasking and our attention to detail. <laughs> it continues, yes, to yes, be a, yes. continues to be a theme I and I just love every second of it. I also love that we got another FSU grad on the podcast. Yeah, that was a mistake. I didn't know that before we booked her. 
Yeah, well, that is your own fault. Yeah, I got to do my homework first and then book guests. Uh, yeah. But no, I, I'm so happy that she said yes and did this. And yeah. They, you know, I looked down and realized like how long the episode was. I was like, oh, we, we need to start wrapping this up. <laughs> you know, then we talk for 20 more minutes. Um, yeah. The other great, and I'm going to steal this line. Um, I don't, I'll have to look up where it comes from, but the comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. Like, I love that line. Um, yeah. I've never heard it before, and I'm going to find out where it comes from, and I'm going to use that constantly. Yeah, that was a drop-the-mic moment for yeah. sure. When she said that, I was like, oh, goodness, okay. Yeah, that's. Uh, I was like, wow. Uh, like, literally, I was, like, trying to write it down yeah, as best I could. Same. Um, and, you know, I think that was in the context of uh, comparing to the the men's game and, and mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the women's disadvantages because yeah. it's always done that way. Um you know, and that goes back to the question I asked about, have they ever thought about merging with the MLS? And I thought her answer was great. Like, you know, they're in different spots and have different needs and, you know, they do work together, but I don't think it necessarily works. It, it would work, at least right now, work for them to be under one umbrella. Because um, the, they're the, still fighting for Yeah, the needs are so different. Yeah. Like, the only way it would work if they instantly had the same thing that MLS had, which isn't realistic. Right. Um, but, you know, eventually I think they'll get there. But I, I like how she she's very thoughtful before she speaks and, and yeah. had, a, had a really good answer for that. So, Yeah, that was a great episode. Um, also didn't know she played with Aubrey in uh, Bledsoe in high school. Like, I didn't know that yeah, either. Did, yeah. Never came up anywhere in no. my research. No. <laughs> Completely failed on that one. Um, it's cool, though. I yeah. mean, yeah, well, I, I think that sort of explains a lot more now that I know that. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. Then their chemistry on the field makes sense. Um, but I'm glad you guys kept your FSU banter down to, you know, just a couple of minutes and have to put up with it too long. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I don't really think you have a lot of room to talk when you went to Western Maryland College. Hey, but... we're the Green Terror. Thank you. Okay. I don't know what it is, but yeah, that's our mascot. Explain that one to me. It's a state of mind, not an actual thing is what they always say. That's all I got. Great. Yeah. All right. Good work, Matt. Oh, thanks. That's the first time you ever gave me a compliment. I'll never do it again. Yeah. Also, like when I said, "Hey, look, I ask good questions," and the response was, "Did Kim write them?" <laughs> well, she she's smart. She knows. <laughs> uh, I don't like when people know you and me. This isn't. It's not going to work for me anymore. <laughs> Need better guests. No. Tori was great. I, I don't know. know what you're talking about. All right. Get back to work. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Pitchside from the Plex podcast. Head to mdsoccerplex.org to listen to old episodes and view episode notes. Follow us at mdsoccerplex on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again soon. Pitchside from the Plex is produced by Matt Libber and Kim Walter with support from Alexis Andrikat-Price and Gary Burke.